Hello and welcome back to Manifest Destiny. I am your host, Belair. And I'm your host, Rebecca. Um, and this is a podcast about old friends talking about old things. Um, basically, this is an American history podcast. And, you know, we're laughing and we're learning. That's <laughs> we are learning and we are laughing. So that far, that's what we're doing. And so today we're going to bring you a couple of events that are... Not as well known, but, you know, we're going to laugh and learn together. So, um, Rebecca, please take it away. She's going first, so wish her luck. (laughs) So, something we didn't uh, talk about in our intro, well, we kind of touched on it, was that Blair is super into astrology. So, what I figured I would do is kick things off by telling you that the first subject of today's uh, little ID, as we would have called them Uh in AP West, is Patty Hearst. And I'm just going to give you Patty Hearst's birthday, and you can kick us off and tell us what kind of a... She was born February 20th, 1954. Oh, my God. I literally dated a guy whose birthday was February 20th, and I was like, you could be an Aquarius. Like, just be an Aquarius. And he was, but he was just the most emo Pisces ever. Oh, they're Pisces. And I hated him. Yeah, so it's... it's, I don't know anything about astrology. It's very, very cuspy. But to me, I would say, I don't know much. I'm pretty cuspy. You, I know. Rebecca's very cuspy. She has a lot of Capricorn qualities, a lot of I am technically a a Capricorn, but I'm right on the cusp. Yes, you're right on the cusp. But, yeah, so back to Patty, I would say she's probably someone who could be a really cool Aquarius, but she's actually a really annoying Pisces. And I'm just going to go ahead and say, Pisces are the secret snakes of the Zodiac. Oh. (laughs) I have my finger wagging right now. Um, you know, honestly, do not at me, but fuck Pisces. And um, they're very self-destructive. They don't accept blame for anything. Wow. Um, they're very imaginative. I have a Pisces moon. And I'll, I'll go ahead, I'll say it. That's why I'm allowed to talk like this, because I have a Pisces moon, and it's honestly the darkest thing about me. <laughs> like, I, you know, I've made some weird decisions in my life. But kind of like the dreamier aspects about me, the like go with the yeah. flow, woo-woo things about yeah. me, which are obviously So many. astrology so, comes from your so, Pisces moon. So astrology could be my Pisces moon. Um, but yeah, but so I'm, I'm seeing that Patty is a Pisces sun sign. So to me that says that. How do you know that? She's, well, your sun sign is your birthday. That's what, that's all I can tell from that. I don't know her moon or her rising or anything. Oh, got it, got it. Okay. Um, yeah, so Patty has a Pisces sun sign. So I'm going to go ahead and say without, I mean, I know a little bit about this case, but it makes perfect sense to me that it would be a Pisces because she'd be like, oh, it's not my fault. Yeah. All this happened. Like Pisces. Are so no everything you said is they're freaking so me out. manipulative. I mean, Pisces are so manipulative; it is insane, and they're I so mean, emo, and they live in the past. All all water signs live in the past. She is be manipulating everyone. The people she yeah. kidnapped her, the people afterwards, her family. So the number tracks. one word I would use is secret snake of the zodiac. <laughs> manipulative, don't accept blame. Like they're always trying to blame other people, wow. and they are. Maybe there's something to this. Yes, and they're and they're water signs, so they're super emotional. But it kind of like holds them back because they really like can't get over things. Like they kind of live in the past. Is this the destiny part of this podcast? I mean, Did no, we... this is the manifest part of this podcast. Yeah, I'm still very confused about astrology. I mean, yeah. So we're learning. So okay, great. so Patricia Patty Hurst is the granddaughter of William Randolph Hurst, who is essentially like the Logan Roy of history. Like this guy owns He's media. The her- He's the guy. Yeah, a lot of people in this youthful generation don't know who the Hurst are, but they know who they the... they know who Logan Roy is <laughs> That's though. True. 
So, you know, this guy owns it all. He is rich and his progeny are rich without having to do much. So his granddaughter is just this like breezy, unbothered, rich California girl. She's going to Berkeley. She's doing like quirky things like getting engaged to a guy with the last name Weed. I would love that. Right? <laughs> That's the quirky thing I want to do in 2021. Me too. Like that seems like a great move. So she's, you know, living her life and on February 4th. Weed. Patty Weed. His name was Stephen Weed and she's like, I'm going to be Patty Weed and my parents can't do a thing about it. Patty and she was just weed. Out, living her life. She had this cute apartment in Berkeley, going to school in Berkeley, living her rich California fantasy. And on February 4th, 19-year-old Patty is uh, at home with Stephen Weed, and they're maybe smoking <laughs> weed. I don't know. I wouldn't presume to judge. But the door gets kicked down. There's a bunch of guys. With, Wait, what year is this? Uh, 1974. Okay. February 4th. So, you know, well, Pisces time, right? No. No. See, I don't Aquarius know. Aquarius season. I don't know anything and about I, Just this. know I'm saying season S-Z-N. Yes, I, <laughs> I heard I it in the way you said it. Yeah. So anyways, she gets kidnapped and they beat her up. She's unconscious. She wakes up in a closet where she is then kept for the following week, blindfolded and bound. But when the kidnappers decide that she's got to eat and take her out, they keep her blindfold on. But they let her kind of, you know, listen around to their little mealtime conversation. And Patty, being, you know, the intelligent 19-year-old, rich, affluent, exposed girl that she is, starts to realize these conversations are pretty political. And she can kind of, you know, get involved in these conversations. So she starts chatting with them. I just see her being like, I go to Berkeley. Yeah, literally. Like, she's so... Oh, and she comes to find out the group that has kidnapped her is this group called the... And I always pronounce this wrong because it is a fake fucking word. It's Siambanese. Liberation Army, which is just something they made up. Let like, me see how it's spelled. Siambanese. S-Y-M-B-Symbianese. Symbianese. Symbianese. Symbianese? Symbianese. It's a silly made-up word, so the pronunciation okay, whatever. is crazy. Tell that to the Symbianos. Well, they don't exist anymore because their name was foolish. So Symbianese, we're going with that, Liberation Army, and, you know, again, fictional name created by a bunch of fiction, well, not fictional people, but their agenda was rather fictional at some points. So anyways... They decided that they wanted to kidnap Patty so they could leverage the Hearst political connections to free two of their own who had been imprisoned for the murder of this man, Marcus Foster. And Marcus Foster was a very renowned educator. I believe he was a principal uh, in the area who was killed. And the evidence led to two... And we're going to call them the SLA because that's what they called themselves. Two members of the SLA were arrested. So they thought that by kidnapping Patty they could leverage her kidnapping to get their SLM members out of jail for this killing of Marcus Foster. Does that ever work? No, it didn't work. So when they realized it wouldn't work, they pivoted, like, you know, good terrorists do. Sure, pivoting. Pivoting. It's an, it's manifest destiny. They they realized their current destiny wasn't aligning, so they, they changed the direction. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. And they decided they wanted um, a certain dollar amount in food to be given to the impoverished peoples of Los Angeles. So the Hearst actually did this, and they set up these, basically these, like, paddy wagons of food for people to come and collect, but they didn't really do a great job of organizing or executing it, so it didn't really work out so well. So at this point, Patty is informed by the leader, whose name was DeFries, and that is his real last name. DeFries said that the consensus with their little uh, SLA war council was that they were going to kill Patty or Patty had to join them. And Patty is just, like, all in. I'm ready. <laughs> she's I, like, D you didn't need to. She's didn't like, did you? Tomatoes. I thought I was already <laughs> I, all in. I, I, like, I, I, I'm not I, part I, of this. So next thing you know, <laughs> pictures are being sent of Patty, like, carrying a machine gun, like, looking uh, like epic. Che. She is learning how to shoot weapons. They're... 
<laughs> during her trial, there's some like, and this is not funny, but like, you know, she later claims that she was sexually assaulted by one of the members. Another member claims that they were engaged in a deep romance. So again, depending on who you believe. Wait, was it the same person she said sexually assaulted her? Yes. Oh. Yes. Ooh. Yeah, there's I some, that. I know, it was interesting. And apparently she kept some token of his that the previous the SLA member was like no that that was because she loved him and they were in love and she was like no I thought it was a pre-war artifact and they were like Patty was that it but I mean we believe victims so I'm gonna believe Patty but anyways Patty goes all in she renames herself Tanya she is no longer Patty she is now Tanya (laughs) yes and Tanya is living her life she is now a fully fledged member of the SLA she knows how to shoot a gun she's off so on April 15th, 1974. Have you ever shot a gun? Um, once. I didn't like it at all. So. I loved it. I'm sure I you did. I've only done it once, but I went to a shooting range and I, you know, I shot like, I mean, that was, that was terrible. I shot a rifle And I was like trying to Instagram myself. Oh, God. Shooting the gun while my friends were like trying to teach me gun safety. And they were like, Blair, this is the most fucked up thing ever. Like put your phone away. But anyway, but when we were driving back. It was like nirvana. It was like going to a meditation retreat for like three days. You really are unwell. Was shooting a gun for 20 minutes. No, I mean, it's like they say in Superbad. It's like having two dicks if one of your dicks could kill people. You know what I was thinking earlier? The word firearm. Like, I wish that was more universally used because what is a more badass oh my God. thought than but a it, firearm? But it's also so true. It's like bullets look like fucking fire. I read yeah. this really interesting article about how George Floyd affected everyone so intensely because we are so desensitized to seeing people yep. shot by yep. guns that, like, the idea of someone being well, know, it was like Ahmaud Aubrey like didn't have the same level of like that happened before, and that was obviously people were really upset about that, but not to the degree. Well, that wasn't the cops though. I think that was a difference. We were like these yes. are two fucked up people. But we're also I think someone. really fucking desensitized to guns. Yeah, we are so desensitized to guns. But- so, anyways, Tanya wielding an MI is caught on camera robbing Hibernia Bank in San Francisco on April fifteenth, nineteen seventy four. Patty looks into it. She is not just looking like somebody that's been coerced into committing a robbery. Patty is enjoying the power. She's got a big weapon. She fires it a few times. She's living. So she leaves, gets away. Um, She escapes with this couple, Emily and William. And they go off on this, like, magical mystery escape tour. Meanwhile, other members of the SLA are uh, arrested at their headquarters, which actually happened to be very close to Patty Hearst's original apartment, which is why they originally targeted her. Besides the fact that she obviously had these connections, she was just convenient. They lived, like, a block away. Oh, and they, my like, God. watched her walk back from class. So... Keep your habits distant, women. Don't do the same thing every day. This is how you get abducted. And And that's why I always take a different way home. I mean, seriously. (laughs) Seriously, you should. So, off Patty goes uh, on this, like, getting away from the SLA headquarters because six of them were actually killed in the police shootout. It was serious. So, Patty, William, and Emily, they all go off. And they end up going to this gas station. And William tries to shoplift something minor. And the gas station clerk and his employee notice and they follow them out and Patty immediately just like busts open her gun empties the whole magazine into the air she's like get in the car oh I'm abducting you oh my and they God. were like Patty Hurst okay so Patty that Hurst that is some Pisces energy <laughs> Patty Hurst just fully abducts the, the gas station clerk and his employee she was so charming and personable that the gas station employee was like hesitant to confess that she had been the oh one because he was like, I love goals, her now. Goals, like, goals, goals, goals. She's wonderful. He, she was telling him all about like different techniques for making bombs and like how they would tip their bullets in cyanide. And he was like, I've learned Ew. something, Patty Hearst. And Patty Hearst was just like, yeah, I love this life. This is great. 
So, eventually, they get arrested. <laughs> September Wait, 18th. how long? Uh, how well, many days? It was a long time. They The shoplifting incident was on May 16th, and they weren't arrested until September 18th. Oh, my God. So, they had, like, a summer of So, they did it. Patty Hearst and this couple that, you know, who knows what was going on sexually with that, but they were all together, and Patty Hearst was very personable. So, she gets arrested, and then she goes to trial. And at this point... Um, she is the only one that is persecuted for bank robbery because everybody else that was involved had been killed by the police already. A theme in America. Um, wow. Yes. But they didn't kill the white girl. But they didn't kill Patty. Wow. So, but those also is because Patty wasn't at the house when the police raided the house. But also, like, they did not kill William Randolph, not Hearst's have granddaughter. Hearst. That didn't happen. So, of course, then her lawyers, and her lawyer is, I'm going to blank on his name, but I have it somewhere. I'm, you know what? I'm not going to even bother looking it up right now. Her, but her lawyer, lawyer <laughs> is the same lawyer that would then go on to defend OJ. So, um, are you talking about the no. venerable Robert Garcia? No, I am not. He was just like a third. He was like third chair. Oh, you mean Johnny Cochran? No, Johnny Cochran, second lawyer. H. Uh, H. How? I just, I can't believe I just off the top of my head. I know, that was great. Three lawyers from the OJ trial. F. Lee Bailey. Oh, you do have it up. Yep. Oh, my God. Not a bad-looking guy. He looks like William Shatner. (laughs) So, F. Lee Bailey, who is a prominent... Is he still alive? Yeah, I think so. He looks very much like he has skin cancer, though. Oh, Oh, man. Yeah, no, he's still alive. Age 87. Ooh, he's a Gemini. Oh, Hit me up. There you go. So, yeah, F. Lee Bailey was her lawyer. This is also a dating podcast for me. (laughs) It's helping me hook up with... Blair wants fame and fortune, not to work, and a solid... And love. But, you know, like a powerful litigator. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Defender of the Hearst family. DM me and I will vet you before you pass through to Blair. So, during the trial, they tried to argue that Lydia had been brainwashed. This was one of the most famous examples of Stockholm Syndrome being used, that she had to do and say what the captors wanted or she was going to get killed. Um, they noticed some, like, really interesting mental things with her when she was recovered. Like, her IQ had dropped, like, 20 points. Whoa. And she was super lethargic and confused, and she had huge gaps in her memory. Now, again. that she was doing drugs with them? I don't know, but I also think, based on your astrological diagnosis, that Patty Hearst was also just, like, really good at telling people what she they wanted to hear. She was out of it. She was really good at telling the SLA what they wanted to hear, and she was really good at telling people afterwards. Because I think Patty Hearst probably at first was like, I need to survive, so I'm going to do and say. She is quoted by saying, I accommodated my politics to the SLA to survive. And I feel like she definitely started off doing that, but then was like, yo, shooting MIs and robbing banks is fun. This oh is way God. more fun than going to Berkeley and being engaged to Stephen Weed. Like, I am living <laughs> my life. And then when she got caught, she was like, ooh, this probably is not a good look for me. Because the judge or the... But I don't... I think that Stockholm Syndrome is very real. Oh, I think it's very real. Belcanto I mean, has convinced This me. is just, you know, this is just an aside, but I was actually um, the pledge master of my sorority in college, so... Nobody that ever mentions Greek life ever does it as an aside, just as an aside. What do you mean? It is your formative identity once you're in a Greek life. You're like, oh, oh my by God, the way, okay. this is my, not my little formative identity, and my little could burn in hell. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no. But I mean, we were hazed very intensely, and then I was the hazer. Yes. And being on I the other side awful. of it, oh my God, I was such a psycho. I bet you were it terrible. Was power corrupts. Amazing. Absolute power corrupts. I mean, absolutely. Well, I shout absolute. out to Mr. Cunningham, our seventh grade <laughs> history shout teacher. Out to our seventh grade history teacher. But I mean, I. It was really funny though because. 
I was such a psycho, like, made them stay up, you know, sorting puzzle pieces and, like, putting honey. I thought you were about to say with a sorting hat. Oh, no, but I mean, I would make them, like, sort sprinkles by color type of thing for, like, Sounds... hours, and they, like, couldn't go to class or sleep. It's and, very like, niche mean. It's very niche mean, but I mean, I, but I was also like, I'm doing this for you, and I'm doing this for the sisterhood. But, so anyway, I also had this thing where I made them all, there were, like, 19 of them, and we gave them all, like, speech topics. Yep. And um, and so they had to learn about their speech, and then at any time they could be called on to give it. So it would be like whenever we were like fucking bored, we'd be like, "Hey, come over and like give that speech." And one girl, I love that. Yeah, it was hilarious. That's very manifest. We'd be like, we need like five to ten minute speech. I'm like, but like literally, like it was like the journey of the sperm to an ovum. Like literally, like yeah, I, I love that. But like random, random stuff. And I and one of the things I did was Stockholm syndrome. Oh, so yeah. like the last night of oh, pledging, I, I fully believe it. Oh yeah, I mean, but we made this one girl come out and give like a ten minute speech on Stockholm syndrome at four a.m. And it was Stockholm Syndrome? And it was straight up Stockholm Syndrome. Like, And then literally the same girl. It's a girl. layered joke. <laughs> it's a layered joke. So that's just a little bit about me. But so that's how I first learned. I first learned in detail about Stockholm Syndrome from a girl I was hazing to the point of insanity. So you and, were the oppressor. But no, but now we're you friends. You heard it here first. But no. now we're friends. And she is not at all traumatized or there against her will. Yeah, no, but I mean, truly. Yeah. That's a true example of Stockholm Syndrome. This person's my legitimate friend now. Yeah. Okay. So should we free her? Like, <laughs> is she all right? Whoever you are, I'm here for you. All right. I'll well, keep Blair away from you. So, you know, she goes through this trial. They try and argue that she was mentally damaged from this and that she was not acting under her own will. And she's acting super lethargic in court, seeming like she's super out of it. Classic People are like, Pisces. yep, she seems really messed up. So in the middle of this trial... Um, she, Patty Hearst gives some testimony to the LAPD about the SLA. And then like a week later, a bomb goes off at Hearst Castle. And it was in one of the guest buildings and nobody was in it. But a bunch of like valuable stuff that was in there was destroyed. So she was very much like still some stuff was going on with the SLA even during the trial. Um, and then on March 20th, 1976, she was convicted of robbery using a firearm during the commission of a felony and sentenced to seven years in prison, which she served. And she now lives a pretty normal life. She gave birth to Lydia Hurst. I didn't who, know that she was still kicking. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I guess. And Lydia Hurst is married to, um, not Joel McHale, but another guy that looks like him. Oh, the guy from Talking Dead. Chris Hardwick. Okay, this is a side but fuck Talking Dead. Yeah, yeah, fuck that guy and fuck Talking no, Dead. No, but, I mean, just in general, after shows are yeah. not interesting and they're no. not good. I don't know if anyone It's for people that don't turn the TV off after a television show and they, like, get up uh -huh. to do something and leave the TV on and they're like, oh, that's how you get your ratings. Nobody actually watches those shows. Ever since Talking Bad, during <laughs> Breaking Bad. Talking Bad, that was terrible. That was I the worst that. after show ever. But anyway, whatever. So, yeah, that's Lydia Hurst. I think... What an interesting thing to uh, really just go the other side and then come back and say it was all the other way. I mean, what a, what a Pisces. Am what I right? a Pisces. Oh, my God. Like, wow. You just described the ultimate Pisces fantasy. And I didn't even like, know she was a Pisces. Of, like, sloughing off your, you know, the clothes that everybody sees you as, doing something completely insane yeah. and illegal, and then just getting away with it. She also tried to get pardoned, like a presidential pardon in, like, oh 2010. 
And who would have been the president, Obama? Yep. And was Obama like, okay, I'm Obama, busy with some other Obama stuff. didn't get into it because he was too busy, but somebody I'm else was like, Patty Hearst is a known liar that doesn't think <laughs> the law is like yes, pertains to her. Yes, and like yes, went yes. in on Patty Hearst was just like, okay, like I literally was just asking for a pardon. I served my time. And this guy was having none of it. He's like, you're a Pisces snake and we all know it. And <laughs> oh that's a God. direct quote. Wait, I love that. Okay. So we, we're going to shift now. We're going to shift. Um, I am going to do, a, I'm going to tell you a little story about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Ugh. So Rebecca was talking about the 70s, a very different time in American society. Um, and also a time that kind of echoes this in terms of like Patty being, you know, the ruling class. And that's a lot of what we'll see even more exaggerated in this story. Um, so for those of you who don't know, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire was an extremely tragic event that happened in New York City on March 25th, 1911. Um, so this building is actually um, the 8th, 9th, and 10th floors of the Ash Building on Green Street in Washington Place. So it, it is literally right in the middle of Greenwich Village, the most you know, it's literally like two blocks north of the park. Like there are so many people there all the time. It's a super busy places. So um, it is under the ownership of Max Blank and and Isaac Harris. So it's a factory that produces triangle shirtwaists, which are women's a fashion bl- staple. Which are women's blouses. But I like it so much better. Anytime I put a blouse on, I'm like, oh, my triangle shirtwaist I mean, needs to be ironed. I would love that too. Just a shirtwaist. Just, so anyway, so there's three floors. There's about 500 workers. And they're mostly young immigrant women who worked um, about nine hours a day on weekdays and then seven hours on Saturdays. Um, so they work 52 hours a week, which, come on. <laughs> Mommy needs... We don't know anything about that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That is foreign to me. But um, so anyway, so they make about $7 to $12 a week, depending on their age. And there were child labor laws at this time, but there were a lot of like 14-year-old girls that would sneak in. Um, And again, because it was a textile mill, they they were almost more valuable to younger kids because they had like really dexterous fingers. Yes, sweatshops. Yes, sweatshops. Still exist. Et cetera. So this is an example of an American sweatshop. And it is crazy to think that this was, you know, 100, 110 years ago that they were thriving in the heart of Manhattan. Like now we like to talk about, you know, sweatshops in China. But this is a real problem in America. Um, so they are. So again, so in, so in 2018 currency, that's about $191 a week to $327 a week. So again, still living below the poverty level in Greenwich Village um, and... So at 4.40 p.m. on Saturday. So again, on Saturdays, they get out at 5 p.m., I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so this is 20 minutes before their big weekend break. Like, uh. it's oh, so sad. Um, as the workday is ending, a fire flared up under a scrap bin um, under a cutter's table. And generally, the cutters were men, and then the women did the other wow, stuff. Wow, so it was a man's fault? Uh, yeah, I mean, fucking surprise, surprise. Yeah, wow, color me surprised. You can trace back every bad thing that happened to a white man. Um, That's a fact. So the first fire alarm was set by 4.45 p.m. um, And that was by a passerby in Washington Place. This wasn't even someone within the building um, who saw smoke coming from the the eighth floor. And part of that is because all of the doors were locked because they didn't want people to get out, um, you know, and, like, sneak out and take breaks and stuff. Or get out in a fire. No, I mean, I think they 
wanted them to get on the fire because, again, glad you're bringing this up. Both owners of the factory were there that day. Oh, I didn't know that. With their children. Oh, it Jesus. was like bring your daughter to work. It was like <laughs> bad bring day your daughter to your factory fire day. Like oh, very Jesus. messed up. So fire marshal ultimately concluded that the cause of the fire was the disposal of like a mattress cigarette. You weren't allowed to smoke on the floor, but some people would would you know sneak cigarettes, as one is wont to do. On the eighth floor, they're able to they're able to warn tenth floor employees by telephone, but there's no, nothing on the ninth floor. So they're just slowly the flames are are rising, licking their feet. There's again. 20 minutes left in the workday and they're all so pumped like there's all these beautiful stories about how they would like all get one novel like these immigrant women and they would like take turns reading it like in five minute increments during their breaks and then like pass it along to the next person like these are literally young young girls like pre-college age girls that are just trying to make money for their family um again so although these floors have a number of exits um there's a freight elevators fire escapes and stairways down to Green Street and Washington Place. Flames present flames prevented working workers from descending, um, and the door to Washington Place stairwell was wa- was locked to prevent theft by workers. And the locked doors also allowed managers to check women's purses during non-emergency situations. So um, the man that had the key to the stairwell had already escaped via a different route. Again, oh. another white man fleeing for it. Um, so within three minutes. The Green Street Sarah is un- unusable in, in both directions. Terrified employees are crowding into one exterior fire escape. Oh, yeah. It's just it, my nightmare. But I mean, the craziest part about this is this is literally a Saturday afternoon in New York City. Like, there are hundreds of people milling around in the streets. Like, at the time, Greenwich Village was like, you know, right above the Lower East Side. Like, all of these tenements, all of these people. And then there's like the Garment District is right there. There's hundreds of people on these streets literally watching this building go up in flames um basically a large crowd of bystanders yeah, i was gonna gather. say it's just like an og bystander effect uh, um i mean there's just nothing they could do though yeah. like they wish that they could but they so 62 of these 500 women that are trapped um are jumping or falling to their death from the burning Jesus. building um and this is from a new york socialite who just desc- who happened to witness it and describe this scene later um, word spread through the east side through some magic of terror that the plant was on fire and that several hundred workers were trapped. Horrified and helpless, the crowds looked up at the burning building, saw girl after girl appear at the reddened windows, pause for a terrified moment, and then leap to the pavement below to land as mangled, bloody pulp. This wow. went on for what seemed like a ghastly eternity. Occasionally, a girl who had hesitated too long was licked by pursuing flames and screaming with clothing and hair ablaze, plunged like a living torch to the street. You just gotta imagine the journalist there who's like, yes, and she's plunging, and her hair's on fire. It's like, sir, this is not the time. This wasn't a journalist. This was just a random guy who, like, had to work through his feelings about it because he's... This is his therapy journal? I don't know what it is, but he's not a journalist. Well, that was the darkest thing I've heard in a long time. Well, and then, so also they're on, like, the 8th and ninth floor, and, like, apparently the fire trucks only went up seven stories. Oh, yeah, and it was just, like, one story too high. It was literally, like, one story too high. The girls couldn't jump. So messed up. The emotions of the crowd are indescribable. Women are hysterical, fainting. Men are weeping. Like, they're hurling themselves against the police lines. But again, there's nothing anyone can really do about this because of poor management. They had no escape plan. These poor women 
Um, so the first person to jump was a man, and another man was seen kissing a young woman at the women at the window. Before wow! So they he jumped. sexually assaulted somebody before he jumped. Too. No, I mean I think there was like a factory romance, Rebecca. You have a much more wholesome view. So he's like, I'm gonna get one more no, look at I this mean, before I, really I get lit. Well, so I will say the reason I ch- I picked this event was because I went on a ghost tour. Um, of Greenwich Village a few years ago, and I live in New York, and um, it was really emotional because this building is now like an NYU building, and they were talking about different ghost sightings that have happened. It's an NYU like chemistry lab, basically, and it's right, you know, in the middle of Greenwich Village. And we were standing there, and she's like, you know, I've been on this tour, and I've seen, um, you know, there's a man who called like the fairy man who would like, you just see a, a figure like standing on the fire escape, like putting his arm out, like, being a gentleman, like, trying to help these women out. Because that was another thing. Oh, fairy, like, F-E-R-R-Y. Yeah. I was Not a fairy, man. I was like, what a weird... Because that was something that witnesses reported seeing was just, like, a literal gentleman that knew he was going to burn to death, like, helping these women out, oh like, gosh. before like they the Titanic went. band. Yes, yes. And then the saddest part, and this really affected me, was that on the You're tour, definitely, like, a laugh when you're sad, uncomfortable person, aren't you? Because you keep giggling, and I'm I like, mean, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, I mean... This yeah, is deeply sure, disturbing. Sure, sure, sure. It is deeply disturbing. But one of the things she said was that um, at the NYU lab, which is mostly like grad students and stuff, and it's just all of these different labs with different experiments, they will lock the doors and like come back the next morning and the doors are unlocked what? because they want to make sure it's like the girls and like they the, don't want someone to get the ghost. They don't want anyone to get locked in again oh, to the building no. again. Isn't oh, that the saddest no. thing you've ever heard? And I totally believe it. Oh, I believe that. 100% that these, the spirit of these girls are unlocking. Because can you imagine? And this all happened so fast. Like, what was the date of this? March 25th, 1911. What is the zodiac sign of this event? Also, um, Pisces. no, it's Aries. Rebecca, you're awful. Just Please. leave it to me. This is why I'm asking, because I don't know. An Aries. That seems like well, an Well, and then an another th- another really sad thing is that, like, um, I lived in the East Village during, like, the 105th, I think, anniversary of this, and it was something really sad they did. I lived um, on 8th and 2nd, and they... Um, on St. Mark's and they had like some like labor union or something had basically like drawn in chalk like in front of all these buildings like what how old the girl and literally I will never forget this like literally in front of my building on St. Mark's they had like a chalk square in front of our sidewalk being like you know like Rebecca Jane like whatever like died on this day in the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory like she was 16 years old she loved reading and writing like she loved her cats and her little sisters and, like, it was so moving. It's literally like you're walking through Ugh. New York City. You would never, ever think about the fact that people were falling out of the sky flaming. Like, I well, mean. People in New York do think about that. I mean, people in New York think about that a lot. Well, that was what was interesting about the tour. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about 9-11 eventually on this podcast. But that was part of the ghost tour was talking about, like, just this legacy of, like, fire and, like. And tall buildings that you can't get out of easily. Yeah. But also just, like, kind of the way that the different ghosts interact. I mean, I'm excited. This to- this ghost tour really shaped my worldview. I-, I won't lie to you. Um, so at the end of the day, 123 women, um, almost all under 18, Ugh. and 23 men um, died from fire, smoke, inhalation, or falling or jumping to their deaths. Most of the victims were recent, you know, Italian or Jewish immigrant women, aged 14 to 23. Um, the youngest victims were two 14-year-olds. Um, and again, the, the, they would, like, hide in, like, piles of clothes when inspectors would come in type of thing because they were just trying to earn money for their families. So there were underage labor laws at the time. Yes, there. so there were, but, 
I mean, but clearly, loosely enforced. But they were not protecting anyone like there were labor laws that were not protecting anyone like clearly there were no safety laws and everything is allowing this to happen literally the two owners are there with their children watching this go down like so so messed up um so they did an investigation of who was to blame for this they ultimately concluded they acquitted the two owners so they were like yeah i mean it's your fault that all these all these poor ladies died like for sure but you know they're acquitted of first and second degree manslaughter but they are found liable for wrongful death so they are every victim's family was awarded 75 dollars per deceased victim a bargain a bargain but then so that's 75 dollars per human life and then blank and harris the owners um received about sixty thousand dollars more than the for what for damages? Like ins- insurance damages, yeah. So they literally turned a they, profit. They, they profit ended up in. netting money. So that is the incredibly tragic story of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. But if there are any, any benefits to this story, and it's that these women were not forgotten. This caused a huge movement um, in the labor movement, in the women's trade movement, um, and basically just in fire and safety hazardous laws. Because it's hard to understate how big of a deal this was in New York City. Like, literally, there are hundreds of people walking around watching people jump out of a window screaming covered in fire. It was like a wake-up call to kind of the ruling classes, how other people were living and how poorly workers' conditions were. Um, So it actually really helped um, the workers' movement and the women's trade union. Um, This is a time when unions are becoming really popular, and it definitely was a big, you know, big thing in favor of unions is 123 women dying for no reason. So Rose Schneiderman, um, who was a union activist, I just wanted to end with this quote because it's very beautiful. This is, she uses the fire as a reason for the workers to organize, and they ultimately did form a union. So she says, I would be a traitor to these poor burned bodies if I came here to talk good fellowship. We have tried you good people of the public, and we have found you wanting. We have tried you citizens. We are trying now. And you have a couple dollars for the sorrowing mothers, brothers, and sisters by way of a charity gift. But every time the workers come out in the only way they know how to protest against conditions which are unbearable, the strong hand of the law is allowed to press down heavily upon us. Public officials have only words of warning to us, warnings that we must be intensely peaceable, and they have a workhouse just back of all their warnings. The strong hand of the law beats us back. When we rise, the conditions make life unbearable. I can't talk fellowship to you who are gathered here. Too much blood has been spilled. I know my experience. I know from my experience it is up to working people to save themselves. The only way they can save themselves is by a strong working class movement. So that is ultimately a huge impetus for a huge working class movement. You see that throughout the 20th century and especially during these times, the rise of unions. And a lot of that has to do with the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire um, of 1911. So that is ultimately... What I was going to say, that quote got longer than I thought it was going to be. It was beautiful. I'm But yeah, I mean, I was moved by it at the time. So definitely something to think about. And it is at least nice to think that these women didn't die completely in In vain. vain. Because this did cause a huge uproar in, you know, polite society. Like, this was something that, like... And I think that's where our little line between the two is. is These are both events that caused uproar in a society that was otherwise, like, not super interested in these sort of common man flights. But who wasn't interested in Patty Hearst? 
Well, I mean, Patty first brought attention to the SLL and SLA mm-hmm. and their oh, yeah. movements. Okay, I, even see, though, I see what you're saying now. So I think both of these things used a really dramatic, intense experience to shed some light on something that was otherwise not really on most people's radar. So that's just our justification for pairing these two. They're going to get more random from here, They're going to sure. get way more random. It's almost insulting that you would try to create a thread between them, I know. Rebecca. It's instinctual. I mean, it's, it's I the legacy of Clarky living you're through You're right, me. you're right, you're right, you're right. So we should... We'll, we'll keep trying to do that, but ultimately, again, this is our... Tune back in. This is Blair's quest to get rich and famous, so if you want to help in. her on this uh, trajectory, you know help like, her manifest subscribe, it. subscribe, comment. We're going all the way, baby. Throw yeah. us your feedback. Everything, as we've said, is very if unfixed the, and fluid. If the feedback is you guys are really annoying, we're open to that. Like, yeah. literally, we're we'll open take to it. all feedback. Yep, all of it. So, anyway... Tune in next tune week. In. Bye. Thank you for listening to Manifest Destiny, a millennial take on the American millennium. If you enjoyed our show, please leave us a positive review on your preferred podcast platform, but only if you enjoyed it. Looking for a history fix in between episodes of Manifest Destiny? Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Manifest Destiny Pod for exclusive content and quality memes.